It's these automations and workflows. Why does Brazil produce some of the world's best soccer players? You just freaking killed your wife and you're telling your business partners to almost incriminate themselves by not saying what they know. Welcome to another episode of Dental Rift. I'm your co-host, Gary Bird. I'm CEO of SMC National. We are dental growth partners that help practices like yours achieve the growth that they want through new patient growth. And I just totally messed that up and Tanner's laughing at me. Don't you just love whenever you can tell when Gary's distracted? <laughs> My name is Tanner Applegate. I am the CEO and founder of Unified Dental. We are a SaaS platform to help manage all the chaos of all the different applications you use within your dental office. Okay, we got some crazy topics for today. So number one, Tanner's raising some money and we were going to talk about that. I'm super fascinated about this because I've never had to, I've never raised money before. I've always just, I don't, I think maybe stupidly, I've always just bootstrapped everything. It's probably the harder and longer road. But, uh, so I'm super fascinated about this and I want to hear about that. Next, I want to talk about the talent code. This is a book that I've been reading and it's absolutely amazing. It scientifically breaks down how you get great talent and how you, someone develops great talent and Anyways, we'll go into that. I'm super stoked about that one. And then lastly, there was recently a doctor who murdered his wife in Colorado. Tanner actually has bumped into him before. And uh, we're going to talk about that super sad story. Very, very tragic. And we're going to talk through that. So first, let's talk about you raising some funds for um, your uh, for your SaaS uh, company. Yeah, so this is something that like, I don't know if it's cliche or what, but I, I never actually heard of people going through fundraisers, right? You always see the LinkedIn posts after of like, hey, we just raised around and here you go. Congrats. And so as I've been getting into this tech space, I always am kind of like, I would know that I would be curious kind of on an outsider. So I'm more willing to be open and kind of uh, transparent what's going on. So on it, for those that don't know, right, Unify is a new software. My background is I built and sold now out of two DSOs. And so to be into the software world, it is completely different. There are so many things that I've had to learn about running and building a software company that I didn't have to do with the dental office, right? My first DSO, we had, we bought our first office. And within a matter of like a year and a half, we had gone through and bought five other offices because we just went and got bank financing to buy these offices, right? And they were super supportive and allowed us to be able to do it, et cetera. And it was like a piece of cake. So financing in my mind was not something really to worry about. I know that the bigger we got, kind of the more we had to worry about going to different banks and all these things. But it was very different than the world of SaaS. So uh, Gary, you said in your background, you've done a lot of bootstrapping, right? So let me, I'll just kind of walk through the mindset of from a software company, when to bootstrap versus when to raise and what it's like raising, right? So for bootstrapping, the biggest issue with a software company is that until your product is ready, you don't generate revenue, right? With a service-based business like a dental office, okay, maybe a dental office, you're still going to need upfront capital to at least get a facility going. Yeah. But you can go in and start providing services even before you have revenue, Mm -hmm. right? Like as a consultant, I can go in and start providing services as a consultant and then start generating revenue. And I don't really need to have the equity or the capital in order to build something. So with software, especially if you're doing a very complex software like a PMS, the amount of expenses that you have to build the product to get it to a stage where you can actually sell it and generate revenue is a risk, right? So for a lot of business models, especially in tech, bootstrapping is not an option. 
Okay. But for certain business types like mine, for example, with our product, I went through, I got a partner who is a developer who's willing to do it on the side. He's getting equity. And so with that, we could have essentially bootstrapped forever, gotten the product eventually ready and then done it. But the biggest issue there is time. Yeah. Right. At our current pace of how long it takes us to develop, we would have been able to get our product ready in the next year and a half to kind of the point in which we felt ready to kind of publicly launch it. Right. And so with that, we said, you know what, there's enough things happening our way. Let's go ahead and raise a round to be able to develop, build a development team to then go through and uh, get our product ready. Okay. So what does that look like? I am at the stages of raising a round as you have pre-seed, seed, series A, B, and C. Right. Pre-seed is, hey, I've got an idea, maybe a little bit of a product. Let's make, uh, let's raise some money on that. Seed is we've got a product that's ready to go. We just kind of need to help scale it out. And then A is like, we've got more traction, et cetera. Right. So we're really kind of at the pre-seed round. We're raising kind of what would be considered a smaller amount, right? 250 to 400,000 is what we're raising. And the reason why is because we're not raising it for a bunch of different positions, right? We don't need marketing dollars. We don't need all of these different roles. Really, all we need is a development team. So we're raising a smaller amount to hire a development team in order to get our product ready. And once it's built, then we can raise another round in order to scale it out and actually go out and sell it, right? So that's kind of been um, where we're at right now. I'm meeting with investors. These are smaller investors, right? VCs usually want to do bigger checks, a million plus. And so we are meeting more with kind of what you'd consider a friends and family round, right? I'm reaching out to people I know, asking them if they're interested, et cetera. And so that allows us to be able to kind of put that money together and then take it to the next um, state. Sorry to disrupt the show, but I got something crazy to share with you. We are attempting to connect with all of our listeners. We have thousands of people that listen to this podcast, and we want to meet you in person. We have four events coming up, and I want to give you a discount code that you can use for the next week to save $300 off your ticket. The discount code is Gary Bird, and the link is going to be just down below. You can also go to smcnational.com forward slash events. I hope to connect with you in person and help each other grow our businesses. Can't wait to see you soon. So let's talk through this. So let's pretend um, all of our listeners, you're their friends and family, right? So we got all these people listening right now, and I'll, and I'll act on their behalf because I've never gone through this before. So the, so. Tell me, so let's say I have 10,000 bucks that I'm willing to throw at this. What, what do I get? What does that look like? And how, how, what's the process going to be like? Yeah, so you can raise on a couple different ways, right? At this early stage, because the company's not generating revenue, we're not going to value the company, right? So I'm not going to say the company is worth 10 million, so you give 10,000, right? You're going to get 0.1%, right? Because the reality is, is like what you think it's worth, what I think it's worth doesn't matter because it's all ambiguous, right? So what happens is you usually have a lead investor who comes in and negotiates a term, right? So maybe they're the one that's put in the most. So let's say uh, we're going to raise 250, they're going to come in and put 120,000 in it, right? So because they've kind of taken the biggest chunk of that, they'll set the terms and say, hey, I think the company's worth this. And so this is what the terms are that we're willing to do. And so everyone else, in order to fill that 250 round, anyone else that invests just jumps in at the same terms as the lead investor. Okay, Got so it. whatever we end up agreeing on there with that lead investor, that's what the percentage of company that you would buy with the with that ten thousand. And then, and then, when what's the what's the end goal for the investors? Is it to 
get their capital back and and plus some later is it when you sell or is there some other play there like how do they how does an investor um win at the end of the day yeah so there's multiple ways you can do it sometimes depending on the type of investor you are right the bigger investors they're going to be in it for the long haul they're going to put enough money in that they're not going to be able to get it out until a big uh, either sell of the company or going public through an IPO, right? But then the smaller investors, like at our round, when I raise a series A or a series B, that money will probably be buy out a lot of these early investors so that they can get a return. So my goal is like within the next five years to grow the company to such a good multiple that my early investors are getting a return on that investment and they don't have to wait for this big end game of like having to buy out the company mm. entirely. That makes sense. Awesome. And so when when are you kicking this off? Like, have you already kicked it off? Yeah, we're starting. We've got a handful of people already committed. So that was exciting and fun. Um, we're still kind of looking for that initial lead, but there it, it takes a while to be able to commit kind of that much capital um, as well. So it's in the early stages where I'm making it happen. I'll keep you updated kind of how it goes. So put me down. I'm definitely going to invest something. Um, and so put me down as a yes. And then personally, and then, yeah, if, if someone wants to, so if someone's listening and saying, hey, I want to invest into this, I believe in what you're building and I think it's needed. How, wh- where, well, let's talk about that. So what, what exactly are you building? What, what would they be investing in? Yeah, that's a great question. So this is something that too, if you are interested Really, my goal would be, I want people in dental right now. Like Unify is not forever a dental company, but for right now it is. And so I'm very particular on kind of who I'm allowing to invest to make sure that they strategically make sense as well, Uh. right? Um, And so really what it means is like, if you want to invest, yes, reach out to me. But what Unify is initially is that we are, we recognize that there's a need for a basic, which sounds kind of funny, but a basic kind of password management aspect of dental. 86% of dental offices use some type of shared spreadsheet for password management, right? So our goal right now is to say, let's build a product that solves that problem, right? With super easy for the teams to use. It makes a lot of sense, makes your lives easier. The vision though, that I have for the company that I'm super excited about, and the reason why I'm even starting with this password management or identity management in general is all of these things that we talk about, Gary, right? It's these automations and workflows. It's the ability to do these things. And so I sit there and look at these problems that like robotic process automation companies that currently exist, what are the problems that they have? Well, it's the problem, the fact that like their logins break all the time because they're not updated, right? So if I can solve the login issue first and then get into the workflow automation issue, I will provide a ton of value, not just for dental offices, but for anyone that has kind of fractured workflow. Awesome. Okay, that's really really cool. So and so if people want to reach out, they can reach out, but it has to tr- strategically make sense. So awesome! I'm I'd love to connect, chat with you about it, um, and see if it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, really, we we really are going to be very particular in kind of who we let in and allow to invest at this stage. So now now am I allowed in? So now I want to invest more. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Gary, you. <you're- laughs> I don't know. We'll have to steal the talking me. terms, man. You just sold me. So uh, all right, awesome. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. So here's what we'll do, Tanner. You and I will meet offline. We'll go through the process and then maybe we'll talk about it again on the next, uh, on the next show. Okay. So let's talk about the talent code. We, we recently, I recently read a book called the talent code and it's absolutely amazing. So here's what it does. It starts the book and it tells a story and it talks about Brazil and it, and it talks about why it asks the question, why does Brazil produce some of the world's best soccer players? 
consistently. And it didn't used to be this way. They used to be a horrible soccer country. And then they go into Russia and they, they find this one little soccer club in Russia. I'm sorry, not a soccer, tennis club. This little tennis club in Russia that produces some of the most amazing talent tennis-wise. Why do all these amazing t- t- all this amazing talent for, for tennis come out of this, this tennis club? And they do this for all these different things. They use sports. They use these um, um, music, they use all, they talk about Mozart, Einstein, all these different people, right? Scientifically, they break it down into three categories on how you can become amazing at something. And it, it, there's three things you have to do. So the first thing you have to do is you have to get rep, reps in on failing. So they said one of the things that you, these soccer clubs and these tennis clubs and people who are great at music and Mozart, all of them, the commonality that they all share is that they're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of reps in on the areas that they're weak in. And what, what this broke down for me and what I started to think about was, what do most people do? When, when someone tells you, hey, you're really good at that, we like doing the thing that we're really good at. And then when we stink at something, what do we do? We try to avoid it and we work around it. And so people who are amazing at things, they have this amazing talent. What they're able to do is they're able to get repetitions in, not at the part that they're just they're they're good at, that's easier for them, but at the things that they're bad at. And they, and so as an example of in tennis, if your backhand's really weak, then you're going to sit there and you're going to do hundreds of reps <laughs> at your backhand until you're not weak at it anymore. So that's the first stage of building uh, out amazing talent. There's then there's the second phase. The second phase is they call it. Uh, it um, ignition. And so basically what that is, is the individual has to get fired up about the particular topic somehow. They either have to be super passionate, super excited about it, and or, or, or something of that nature. There has to be something that is cultivated inside of them that they want to go back to it over and over and over again. And this is, again, it really revolves around, in my opinion, this is more about passion uh, because it, there's going to become, it's going to get really, really hard. And then the third stage is mastery coaching. This is where somebody better than them comes in and then begins to work with them. And they started using, they started using like really specific examples. They said, well, what about these servants like Mozart or somebody like that? And he actually went in in the book and he was like, this kid worked with his dad. And so by the time he was six, he already got more reps in around music than most people have in their entire life because he was with his dad and he was learning over and over and over again. And his dad was hard on him, right? Like, nope, that's the wrong way to do it. Nope, do it again, do it again, do it again. Uh, they used Einstein as an example. They use these like guys that are amazing at math. They get these reps in and then they get passionate about it. And then they get this mastery coaching on top of it. And this is what can consistently produce those three things. And they go into like the brain and um, uh, I think it's called melodin or something like that, 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 uh, creates white, white space in your brain and really smart people have more white space in the brain, I guess. And that's created from your body, the repetition, your body is like a computer. It memorizes how to do it. And, and you do that enough times over and over and over again, you can become excellent at, at something. And so I thought this was, I've, I've always just thought, Oh yeah, yeah, you know it's the water that they're drinking down there. That's why they create so many great players down there in Brazil. 
but it's, it's not, it's the training that they're doing from these, with these little kids from early ages. And it was just fascinating. And I started looking at myself in different areas that I excel in and then going back through and figuring out, okay, where did I fail a lot? Where did I get passionate about it? And then where did I get coaching from the outside to actually become better at it? Love that. I love, and and every time a book can take down these like very complex principles and break them down into like easy to follow, like structures or frameworks. Those are my favorite. Yeah. So what's the, uh, how, how have you been implementing this with your team? Well, so I'm, I'm still in the middle of the book, so I'm just reading, reading it and, and getting like a full grasp of it. But so far what I'm realizing is that you, you're not going to be great at anything unless you get, you get reps in it failing. Most people avoid failing. So you have to put people in uncomfortable positions to, to get those reps in, to be cut great. That's the first step. Second step is they have to be passionate or have something that's driving them outside of the thing itself. It can't just be the thing itself. You're not going to be great at, at anything. Um, at, at if it, or like truly great. And then, and then the coaching comes in and kind of puts the icing on the cake. But those first two are the hard ones. And so as I started going through of all the people I've worked with in my life that were amazing at something, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm in and, and, and myself included in certain areas where I'm, I'm, I'm good at things. I start, I can see the pattern there and it's very true. And, and so I don't know exactly yet how to apply it, but it does, I can look at it and I can start to see how I'll be able to ask people questions and figure out if somebody's moving in the right direction or not on these particular, uh, on this particular outline. And that means that they're heading towards greatness or they're, they're moving in the right direction. Passion to me is always the hardest part. It's hard to measure. Does it talk about in the book, if you can develop passion in somebody? I haven't, uh, no, not yet. Um, I think, I think it, it doesn't, I, I haven't got that far yet. Um, or at least I haven't heard it yet. So okay. I, 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 I struggle with that one too. And what I would correlate that to is like, it's like NBA or NFL drafting, right? So you, you have these people, they, they have FBI backgrounds, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these draft picks and half the time they strike out and it's because of motivation. So you got these kids who are amazing talents. They can play football, they can play basketball, but some of them come out like LeBron James and is extreme. They're not only are they the most physically gifted and have worked really hard, but they continue to work that hard for 20 years. Right. And then you have somebody like Anthony Bennett who came out of UNLV who had the similar body and build is, is LeBron James. He was the number one pick. He could have been a LeBron James. He just didn't work the same way, right? Like it wasn't even close or Jamarcus Russell versus Tom Brady. These similar similarities are, they just didn't, they didn't work at it. And you can't measure that. You can't measure once somebody has some ex- success, how they're going to respond to it. And I, I think that's the trickiest part. Right. And, and I've seen it, unfortunately, go both ways, right? Where you see somebody with a lack of passion and they never develop the passion. I've also seen people with a lack of passion that have something ignites in them where they finally kick it off and like they go crazy, right? And so yeah. there's also people that I've seen that have that, supposedly have that passion that end up dying off as well. And so that's always the one that I've struggled with. Of the three that you said, I love coaching and I'm very uh, passionate about a coaching, coaching culture within an organization that I run. Right. But then the passion part is always, always something that I've struggled with in those coaching relationships of like, I can't get you to do it if you don't enjoy what you do. 
right? And so now all of a sudden, that's so I'm interested to see kind of what your thoughts are on that as you read further. So there's another one that I think we'll probably touch a little bit more on this, Tanner, is that it's called the someone else recommended it because I posted about this book and how amazing it was. And someone else said, you should read the culture code. And so that's my next one that I'm going to read is the culture code. I think I have read the culture code. Is that the one that was about uh, Pixar? No, 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 no. That's different. That's a different book. I know what you're talking about. Oh, oh, the successful, the the secrets of highly successful groups. Okay, no. Yeah, that one's on my list. I haven't read it either. I'm going to read that one. So that one, they said it was even better than the talent code because it it applies more directly to, you can directly apply it more to business. This is more broad, broadly speaking, um, about, about people. So anyways, all right. So they're the the same author. They are. Yep. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Same, same author, same, same cover and stuff. So let's talk about this one. This, there's this super sad situation that happened in your neck of the woods, uh, where a dentist ordered some dangerous chemicals, it had them ordered, brought to their office, and then Google searched how to use them to kill his wife. And then he recently went to jail and you've actually had interactions around, around him. Um, I would love to hear what, what kind of, what happened from your perspective. Yeah. So here's kind of the story, I guess, in a nutshell. And and this is all kind of relatively fresh and new. So I want to be really sensitive about it as I talk about it, because, um, the reason, so my wife and I, this has been a very common topic that we've chatted about in our family for a while, just because it's so close to home, right? It was in an area in which we used to live amongst a community of people that we interacted with on a regular basis. I didn't know this person intimately, but I'd bumped into a few times, right? And so what ended up happening there is the family of six, the husband who happened to be a dentist um, had been poisoning his wife for a while. And the list last week, uh, she uh, unfortunately passed away in the hospital, right? So now it's become this big deal and we've dug in a lot into it. And he had done everything kind of to cover up his tracks in order to kind of kill his wife. And so the sad thing is, is like, yes, he had this mistress on the side and, and the real motivations behind it, right. Are, are completely unknown. Maybe he wanted her out of the picture to be able to run off with her. I don't know. Like whatever the reason is, it's sad because now this family of six kids is no longer with a mother in this house. Right? And so he ended up, like I said, he's been poisoning her in small doses Had tried multiple different, um, tools, but what ended up happening and how he ended up getting caught was that he ended up ordering something to his dental office. They, he told nobody to open it because it was a, uh, he said that there was a ring inside and so they didn't want anyone to open it. They ended up opening it on accident anyway, and seeing that what it was. And so they started putting two and two together that his wife had been having these symptoms, uh. looking at this poison that they, he had ordered and approached one of the other partners and said, Hey, I think there's something here. So the partner was the one that actually went to the hospital and said, Hey, I think that you need to test them for this potential poisoning from her husband because the hospital couldn't figure out what was happening to her. Right. And so with that lead, they were able to identify that in fact, yes, she had been poisoned with this arsenic. And so, and it was because of the fact that like this partner stood up and was willing to kind of say, Hey, like, no. And there's, there's, it's public record now there's an affidavit of like all the things that arrests and stuff and there's also they've released some of the conversations between this dentist and their partners and it's like 
it, it is absolutely mind blowing to me how stupid, I guess is probably the only way to say it. This guy came across, right? Like he literally said to his partners, he said, Hey, you don't owe anything. Like, don't talk to the police if they come. They don't, you don't owe anything to them. If you've ever been a friend to me, please don't say anything to the police, right? Like, you just freaking killed your wife and you're telling your business partners to almost incriminate themselves by not saying what they know. Like how like deep and slimy can you be as a person in order to a feel comfortable killing your wife enough? Like the text between him and his wife or like, Oh, how are you feeling, babe? Like, is there anything I can do for you? Like, I really just kind of like dreamed of you. I miss you. I love you. Like all these things. He's trying to be this doting husband, but then he's literally like gaslighting life around them because he's the one doing it to her and he knows full well that it is right so it's just to me this case was really mind-blowing that somebody could come across as being this amazing person but be completely like internally just so evil and just you wouldn't recognize it ever from the outside and so it makes me question and second guess kind of how i approach society and i'm like are these people that I think are good people? Are they really actually good people? Like who's capable? Am I capable of this? Like, it's just, it, it's crazy to me. Yeah, that's, that is crazy. I didn't know all the details. I just saw the, the higher, you know, the article or the news piece about this guy doing this. I didn't know all the back, the back end of that. That is absolutely ho- like awful. I can't imagine going through that as a business partner his, what his wife went through. I mean, she's going, I can't, I've been sick and gone to the doctors before and couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. It was like dietary stuff, you know, and it took me forever to figure out. Could you imagine somebody actually that you love doing that to you? And there is no fix unless they stop poisoning you, right? Like, uh, that's, that's a tough, tough situation. It's so crazy. Crazy. So I guess, uh, hearts of prayers go out to the family that's dealing with all this and then the community too. I mean, it's, not just one person's affected, right? Like all of these business partners, like they've had to take their office offline because of it. Like people are losing jobs and it's- Well, if he was willing to do that sad. to his wife, what do you think he was willing to do to his patients or his, oh. or his business partners, right? Like if someone's willing to kill their wife, what else are they willing to do in all the other areas of business? So that that's scary. That's really scary from medical prof- from a medical professional. Not only are they willing to, who knows what else he was doing. That, that's right? what I'm, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying is like yeah. to save some money or to cut corners or to make more money, what would you be willing to do if you're willing to kill somebody? Then pretty much everything else is on the table. Yep. It's totally true. Yeah, it's scary. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.